0: In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a city of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the voice of your greeting came to my ears, the babe in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, I'd like to continue on with the sermon series that I started last week. "It's a Wonderful Life." I wanted to remember how we looked at the scripture of Zechariah. Zechariah, who was serving in the temple as a priest. He had come into the holiest of holies to burn incense, and while he was there, he was praying about the deepest hurt in his heart, which was the fact that he and his wife, Elizabeth, had never had a baby. They were now advanced in years. And while he was there at the altar praying, the Lord sent an angel and was suddenly standing beside it. And Zechariah was very afraid and the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer has been heard. I said what I wanted us to do during this season of Advent as we prepare for Christmas was for you and I to get to where we could face our fears, to face our darkest night, and to hear the angels speak and say, don't be afraid, for your prayer has been heard. I introduced us last week to the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, something that almost everyone has seen. It is probably one of the most popular Christmas movies of all times. It came out in 1946. It wasn't a blockbuster in 46. It did well enough to break even, but it didn't just make lots of money. No, it turned out it wouldn't have made this kind of history that it is today if it hadn't been for 1974 when a clerk forgot to renew the copyright and all of the TV stations began showing it now for free over and over and over again. And we all begin seeing It's a Wonderful Life a dozen times a year between Thanksgiving and Christmas, starting in 1974. And everybody saw again this message and fell in love with it. It has received such critical acclaim. In the beginning, it received five Academy Award nominations, but it won zero. Not many years ago in England, the BBC had a survey asking the people What do you think are the greatest movies never to have won an Academy Award? It's a Wonderful Life came in second. It was the American Film Institute just less than ten years ago that voted that It's a Wonderful Life was the most inspirational movie of all time. It is a very powerful movie. You remember it's about George Bailey. George Bailey was a man who grew up in Bedford Falls. He grew up in a small town, and as a young man, he dreamed about getting out of there. He was going to travel the world, and he was going to do significant things. But those of you who've lived long enough know, life doesn't always work out the way you plan. It didn't for George. No, his father died. took over the family business, the building and loan, He stayed in Bedford Falls, he got married, had four children, lived in the same old drafty house year after year. And after the years had gone by, he looked at his life and how unexciting it was and he really felt like a failure. It was then that his uncle Billy, through carelessness, happened to lose an $8,000 deposit. It was taken by Mr. Potter, who wanted to ruin George. He took the $8,000 and they called in the bank examiner and now it was going to come up $8,000 short and a warrant for George's arrest had been issued for embezzlement. And we looked last week at when George is in the bar and he feels so all alone. He feels a failure. When he looks at his life, he just feels like he has failed in every facet of life and now he is going to be accused of embezzlement and there will be a warrant for his arrest. And he goes down to the bridge overlooking an a icy river and he's made the decision he wants to take his own life. But he prayed, oh God, if you're listening, I'm at the end of my rope. Show me the way. And God does. God sends him an angel. Well, it was an angel second class. He sends him Clarence, Clarence who is his angel trying to earn his wings by doing good things to really help somebody. He didn't do so well at swimming and he goes into the river and George saves him. And and so things begin to unfold and George says, I wish I'd never been born. And Clarence has a brilliant idea and says, okay. And now George is able to see the world if he had never lived. And he sees what happened to Bedford Falls. He sees what happens to all of his friends that he loves so much. He sees what happens to his wife, Mary, to his brother, Harry. All these people he cares about, their lives are so different and they have not gone as well. And when he sees all the pain, he realizes he had a wonderful life, even though it was different from what he had planned. And now he goes back to that same bridge and he's on that bridge and now he's weeping and, and he says, I want to live. I want to live. Oh God, I want to live. And suddenly it begins to snow. That's the sign that he's back. And Bert sees him and he's a friend who recognizes him and suddenly George realizes he is back and he runs home. And when he gets there, there is the bank examiner and there is the sheriff with the warrant And he knows why they're there. He runs in and says, yes, it's true. There's 8,000 missing and I know you have a warrant for my arrest. Merry Christmas. He runs upstairs to see his children. He comes back downstairs and there is Mary. Mary has spread the word through town that George is in trouble. No questions asked. People started to donate money. Everybody remembering how George had been there for them. No, they all start donating money, and people start bringing it into the house, and the house starts filling up, and here's all these people, everyone coming in and making a contribution. And suddenly Harry comes in the door, his younger brother. He'd been in New York, and he had heard that his older brother was in trouble, and he flew in in a snowstorm to be there. And so everybody is there, and George is holding his child, and he's beside Mary, And he looks down at this basket of money, and suddenly there's a book there. They didn't remember it. They picked up the book and they opened the cover, and there on the inside it said, George, no man is a failure who has friends. Thanks for the wings, Clarence. No man is a failure who has friends. Because that means you must have been loving and caring and blessing life. You have friends. You are connected. And when you feel like you have friends and you are connected, you're able to come back and face your life. Not afraid of being a failure. Not afraid of all the struggles you have. You can face your fears. It has been said, the antidote to fear isn't courage, it's connectedness. To be connected, to feel you belong, to know that you're not alone in the world. When you feel loved and you love and you feel connected and you belong, that's the antidote to fear. You see it in our scripture lesson this morning. I wanted to continue on where we'd been last week, looking at Zechariah and Elizabeth. And, And what happens is Elizabeth does become pregnant, just like the angel said. But now she's this older woman and she is pregnant. It's hard. When you are older, being pregnant, and she is frightened. She's never done this before. And now she doesn't know what the future is going to hold. And the angel said, you're going to have a son who is the forerunner of the Messiah. What in the world is this about? To be excited and frightened and it's difficult. In the meantime, there is a young woman in Nazareth and the angel visits her and says, and you're going to become pregnant and have a baby. And his name should be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. They are cousins. And when she hears that her cousin Elizabeth is pregnant, well, Mary goes to be with her. And when she walks in the door and Elizabeth hears her voice, she gets so excited and she says, this baby leapt in my womb when I heard your voice. It meant so much to Elizabeth that Mary had come. She wasn't alone. Someone was there who cared and who would understand connectedness. Elizabeth, Mary, it would enable them to face their future of uncertainty in a whole different way because they were together. Connectedness, it enables you to confront your fears and be able to say, in spite of of the challenges it's a wonderful life that's what I want us to think about this morning and there's really just two things I want you to think about first of all through God's grace you have been given the freedom to choose to choose how you will view the things that have happened in your life you have the power to choose We all just came through Thanksgiving. I'm sure if you're Thanksgiving, you were like me. You got together with family, friends. We got together with Kelly and Andy there in Colorado and our four grandchildren. And so it was all of us who came together to have turkey, to have dressing, to have some cranberries, to wind up having pie. And I always say to heck with the pumpkin pie, give me chocolate pie. We all had pie. And and it's a great feast. We all get together and eat way too much and then watch football. And that's what I did all day long was watch football. But you know, we, we have a tradition when we do ours. We sit around the table and during the meal we go around and everybody has to say, what are you thankful for this year? Now, it's been a year of good times and hard times and success and failure and all kinds of pain. And as we run around the table, you're able to say, I'm grateful for this and that we were together to face it. Sometimes you and I forget what Thanksgiving really is supposed to be about and the theme it sets for this season. You remember it was in 1620, almost 400 years ago, that a small group of people set sail from England to come to America for freedom and a whole new vision of what life could be. The ships took far too long to get here. The trip took far too long. And when they landed, they landed more than 100 miles north of where they thought they were going. And they tried to move a little south. They only could get to Plymouth Rock. And there they came ashore. It was now late in the season. Winter was coming in New England. They didn't have time to build proper shelter for the winter. They were running low on food. They struggled to survive that winter. And come next spring, 50% of all the pilgrims had died. Half died in the first winter. But when spring came, they built their shelters properly and they began to to hunt and they began to plant their crops. And by the time the fall came, they had different kinds of homes and they had lots of food. And when they came to that time, there was a discussion. How should we mark this anniversary of our arrival? Should we set aside a day of mourning? Should we set aside a day to be somber and to remember all of those who died? Or should we set aside a day to be thankful? To be thankful for those that we loved who have died. Thankful for their lives and the times we shared. Thankful that we have survived. Thankful that in spite of the hardships and an uncertain future, God is going to lead us into the future. There were two camps and they argued. And finally they decided it'll be a day of thanksgiving. You see they understood they had the power to choose how you're going to think about the things that happened in your life. You get to choose how you will think about the things that have happened in your life because not are all easy and not are all good but they happen. And you get to choose how you think about them and how you see them. When you think about the show, It's a Wonderful Life, here you have George Bailey in a bar thinking about he's such a failure. He's never gone anywhere. He's still in the same town. Now he's going to be accused of embezzlement and he's going to be put into jail. All he is seeing that and he doesn't feel like he can deal with it. He's looking at it in one way that leads him to the bridge where he wants to take his own life. But in the end, because he is going to understand and be connected, he will choose to go back and see it in a different way. To go back home and be able to say, Hello, Mr. Bank Examiner. Hello, Sheriff. Hello, Drafty House. Merry Christmas. Through the gift of God's grace, you get to choose how you're going to see it. And when you're connected, when you know God's grace, you'll be able to look at your life and see it in a different way and give thanks. And so secondly, when I read the story, you know, I read these things over and over again to try to get the feel that something jumps out. As I read the story, what jumped out at me was Mary took the time to go be with Elizabeth. It was that simple and that profound to take the time to go be with Elizabeth. She would be with her for three months. Elizabeth was thrilled to have Mary there. I mean, Zachariah was a great guy. But he didn't understand morning sickness. He didn't understand what it felt like to be pregnant. No, to have Mary there. She understood. She could relate. She took the time to come and to be there. It takes time for connectedness. You know, I've been watching lately, and maybe I'm just kind of sensitive to it and looking for it now. But man, I seem to see it all the time. When Marsh and I have been traveling and we've been out eating at different restaurants or we've been in airports, so often I'll see a dad with his kids or mom with her kids. And what I see is they'll be sitting somewhere and the parent is on their mobile device. And they'll be focused on their mobile device the whole time and no one is communicating with the children. One place we saw was a family of four, three kids and dad. And every kid was on their own mobile device and dad. Nobody said a word. Do you ever see that? Do you ever do that? You come into a room and there's a whole family and everybody's sitting around and maybe we're going to be eating pie or watching TV and we're all just looking at our devices. We're not present. You know, it's been said that the greatest gift is not the tangible things, it's our presence. To be there, to be present. In the last sermon series, I told you about the book, The Five Biggest Regrets of the Dying. One of the regrets I didn't talk about in the series was the regret that people said when they came to the end, they regretted they didn't stay connected to their old friends, they didn't keep up with their old friends. You know, sometimes that's hard to do. We're so busy. Do you keep up with the old friends? With members of your family? Do you stay connected? It's when you're connected that you're going to discover the power to look at things in your life in a different way and confront your fears and not be afraid. But if we're so busy we don't have time to be connected, to share with family and friends and keep up with the old friends as we make our new friends, what happens? When you come to the end of the show, It's a Wonderful Life, we've had Harry show up, and it is the younger brother who's now come because he said, if my older brother's got a problem, I'm here. And they all start to sing the song, All Lang Sign. You know, it's been said that that song is sung second only to Happy Birthday. We all know that Happy Birthday is the most sung song in the world. They think that Old Hang Sign is probably number two. Everybody will sing it on New Year's Eve and we will sing it at all kinds of other services. But certainly on New Year's Eve and you'll always hear people say, Old Hang Sign," and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Do you know the words? <laughs> We all get the first few out, and then we just kind of hum the rest of them kind of along because we really don't know what the words are. It is, Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot and old lang syne? Now, when you and I sing the song, we sing that as a statement. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? No, no, it's not a statement. It's a question. This was a poem that was written in 1788 by Robert Burns in Scotland. This good Scotsman wrote this poem, put it to a popular tune, and it spread throughout Scotland, then into England, and it spread through most uh, English-speaking countries in the world. It's now about 230 years old. Everybody wants to sing it but we don't really know what the words mean. And that first line really isn't a statement, should old acquaintance be forgot, like, yeah, that's going to happen. It's a question mark. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? The answer is no. You can translate Auld Lang Syne. It's loosely translated, for days gone by. Or for the sake of the old times? Should old acquaintance be forgot and the days gone by? For old anxiety, my dear, no, for the sake of the old times, my dear, for the sake of the old times, we'll take a cup of kindness yet for the sake of the old times. It reminds us that old acquaintance aren't supposed to be forgotten. For the sake of the old times, we'll share kindness. How you doing? Are you taking the time to go to Elizabeth? To be there? To connect, to share? With those of the past? with family in the present, with friends in the present. It's when you stay connected, connected to God's grace, connected to one another, when you feel loved by God and you love each other, you can confront your fears. And you can say it's a wonderful life. You know, one of my favorite old Christmas stories is a story about a man named George Mason. It took place many years ago now. George Mason lived in a small town, kind of like Bedford Falls. It turned out that it was on Christmas Eve. He was the last one to leave work. He was only in his 30s, but he was already president of the bank. And he was there in the bank watching people go down the street, out the window, and They were all dressed up and carrying their packages. Santa Claus was on the other corner ringing a bell. George then went over to the bank vault, dialed in the combination, opened the door, propped a chair against it, and went inside the vault. He stepped up on a small stool and there he read a piece of paper above the last safety deposit box on the top row. And he thought about the year before. You see, the last Christmas Eve, he'd been the last one to leave the bank. He'd watched the people go down the street. He was about to treat himself to an elegant evening. He was a bachelor. He was just going to be by himself. He was looking forward to the evening, thought he might need a little bit more money, went over to the vault, turned in the dial, opened the bank vault, went inside, and he forgot that the maintenance people had been there that day. They'd been working on the door. They'd greased it up. They made it work. And now while he was standing inside, unbeknownst, that door was slowly but surely swinging shut, and suddenly it slammed shut. The automatic light went out, and he found himself entrapped in that bank vault, his tomb. He screamed and threw himself against the door. Nobody heard. You couldn't hear, but no one was there. They'd gone. He suddenly started thinking about the stories he had heard of people getting locked in vaults like this and suffocating. He kicked into gear thinking and he remembered what he had been taught. He fell to his knees in his total darkness, feeling around the door on the right hand side in the corner, a soft spot to push his finger in, so small, but he soon felt cool air coming in. He was not going to die. But now he was sitting there in this three foot by eight foot vault. And he's thinking, how long am I going to have to sit here? An hour? Eight hours till tomorrow morning? And then it hit him, tomorrow's Christmas. Nobody's coming in tomorrow. Will it be the next day? Surely not. I mean, he got to thinking though. I mean, he was a bachelor. He had a maid. But he treated her like a maid. His brother had invited him over for dinner, but he had declined. I mean, all those kids made him nervous, and it meant he'd have to buy presents. No, he had a friend who invited him to go to a retirement home the next day and play music. He was a great musician, but he didn't want to go play music at some retirement home. He was going to have a great cigar and listen to his own music the next day. The more he thought about it, the more he couldn't think of anybody who might miss him. And so he sat there in this vault all through Christmas Eve night, all through Christmas Day, all through Christmas night. He really wasn't hungry. He was just thirsty. It was finally the next morning the head bank clerk came in, did the combination and cracked open the vault for the day's work and went into his office and closed the door George very carefully opened the vault door no one else was there he slipped out and ran to the water fountain and drank and drank got out the front door down the steps and hailed a taxi and went home once home he was able to shower and shave and put on some new clothes and have a wonderful breakfast he came back to the bank and he thought I'm not going to mention what happened to a soul and see what happens Got back to work the next day. The employees came in. So good to see you, Mr. Mason. They were all polite and kind. Friends came by to go to the service club luncheon. No one mentioned yesterday. He saw his brother at the service club luncheon. His brother didn't even mention it. How you doing today, George? It finally came to late in the evening when he realized that on the day when the world comes together as family and as friends to celebrate the gift of love, being born into the world, he had disappeared off the face of the earth and nobody had missed him. He started that day to prepare for the next Christmas Eve. He put a piece of paper up there in the vault that he would have to see every day. Now a year later, he looked at that paper, climbed down off the vault, removed the chair in front of the door, and closed the vault. He grabbed his coat and picked up his packages. He was heading to his brother's for dinner. He was taking gifts to all of those children and then taking his brother and his sister-in-law out to dinner and to a play. And that night he had to admit he felt an incredible sense of joy in his heart that he had not felt before. And maybe it's because of what he had written on that piece of paper one year before. For it simply said, To love people. To be indispensable somewhere. That is the purpose of life. And that is the secret of happiness. to love and to be loved. It was at the manger that people gathered around a baby, the gift of God's love, Mary and Joseph and shepherds and wise men. They all came together because of God's love and they were connected. When you're connected, then you find you're able to look at the most difficult things of your life and you choose how to look at them You don't have to face life afraid to love, to be loved, to be connected. It's what enables you to confront your fear and to say, it's a wonderful life. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers. Amen.